we just get on the phone or get on a Zoom call or we meet them in person and we just record a one hour video conversation about their lives. And I've had it where people will come back after that video and say, that was such a great experience. It made me remember XYZ organization and I want to give them a gift. Hey, my name is Mallory, and I'm obsessed with helping leaders in the nonprofit space raise money and run their organizations differently. What the Fundraising is a space for real and raw conversations to both challenge and inspire you. Not too long ago, I was in your shoes, uncomfortable with fundraising and unsure of my place in this sector. It wasn't until I started to listen to other experts outside of the fundraising space that I was able to shift my mindset and ultimately shift the way I show up as a leader. This podcast is my way of blending professional and personal development so we as a collective inside the nonprofit sector can feel good about the work we are doing. Join me every week as I interview some of the brightest minds in the personal and professional development space to help you fundamentally change the way you lead and fundraise. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Cecilia Amo. Um, I'm really excited to talk about her experience as an estate planning attorney and really trying to center young families in the conversation with thoughts and ideas about how to hold generational wealth for the first time, as well as legacy giving. There's so much for us to talk about today. Let's start with Cecilia, you just giving a little background on who you are, what brings you to our conversation, and then we'll dive in. Thank you so much for having me on, Mallory. It's it's so great to be here. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to to talk about how important all of this is. So as you mentioned, yes, I am an estate planning attorney. Uh, my approach to estate planning is heart-centered, relationship-based, and counseling-focused. So I do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Can we just dive right in there? What does that mean? You do things differently. How are things typically done in this world that don't feel aligned with how you build partnerships and relationships and and help folks steward, you know, their engagements in this way? And then let's go from there. Okay. I would say that the typical experience someone has with an estate planning attorney, if they even choose to go with an attorney, because there are a lot of, I would say, unauthorized practice of law type deals going on with mm-hmm. notaries who are doing plans for seven ninety five or or whatnot. But the typical experience is that they'll go into an office, meet with an attorney for maybe 20, 30 minutes, give all their information, and that attorney will talk at them and tell them what they need. And basically put them in a bucket of, you know, because law school teaches us to issue spot and solve fact patterns instead of connect with actual people and figure out where they're coming from. So after that, they, they're passed off to maybe a paralegal. They sign some documents they don't understand. They put it on a shelf and they never hear from that attorney again. And unfortunately, as a result of this one size fits all document mill type planning, There are a lot of gaps that leave families vulnerable. It doesn't help them build generational wealth. And particularly young families with minor children, they receive very little to cover the gaps that could lead to their children either being taken into foster care or taken into custody by by someone that they would never want raising their children. And so talk to me a little bit about 
about your process, like how you build partnerships with these families and what what it takes to do it in the way that you that you do. Okay. So um so I'm actually part of a, a consortium of attorneys called the personal family lawyer attorneys. And the it's not that we are all under the same firm. We're just attorneys who have all committed to the personal family lawyer or PFL promise, which is to, to give our community, give our clients the legal guidance that they need, the legal, uh, the legal guidance that they want, the legal protections that they need in a relationship they can trust. Mm-hmm. So we all do things, you know, there are certain things that we do, you know, protecting children through planning is one of them because the, our mentor who trained us, her name is Allie Katz and she wrote one of the best-selling books on estate planning for young families. Uh, it's called wear clean underwear because when you're young, your, your parents are, your mom's always like wear clean underwear in case something (laughs) happens. But estate planning is, is like the adult version of that. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so it, it was her vision to train attorneys and build a network of attorneys who would do estate planning in a better way that was was more in service to the community and you know to help families and protect children so you know there's actually something called the kids protection plan that we are all trained and licensed to do and there are about 500 of us nationwide and maybe 40 or 50 in California so there are a lot of PFLs out there they're all wonderful heart-centered attorneys who really care okay so tell me a little bit about how these things are interrelated, this piece around estate planning, the protection of children, generational wealth, like there are a lot of assumptions I could easily make about this, but tell me about how not having this type of protection, conversation, advocate, Mm -hmm. essentially, ultimately, ultimately creates the perpetuation of systemic issues Generation mm-hmm. after generation after generation. Yes. Talk me through that yes. a little bit. Oh my goodness, I could talk all day about this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> estate planning is not the first thing you think of when you think about equity, but it really—I mean, it's—it's it's crazy. You know how how deep and meaningful a good estate plan can be for a family. So in California, you know, if you own real property or if your assets are over a certain amount. And there's no estate plan. It goes through the probate court process. The probate court process is, is awful as most government things are. <laughs> Default plans go. It's, it, it costs families about 5% of the gross mm-hmm. market value of their estate. So imagine the average house in California is worth $800,000 maybe. And so that means probate is going to run around 40000 dollars in California for a family. And imagine what a family could do with that money if they didn't have to to use that just to transfer ownership of assets between generations. So that's one piece of it. Another thing is statistically, 90% of family wealth is gone by the third generation. Statistically, the average inheritance is spent in just five short years. And statistically, a third of people who receive an inheritance are in debt within two years. And all these statistics exist because either there's a lack of estate planning or if there is a plan, it might be, you know, a one size fits all plan that's not 
built with the kind of guidance and protection that would create generational wealth and preserve that inheritance beyond five years. Wow. So what is the, gosh, I mean, I have all my own limiting beliefs around estate planning and inheritances. And, you know, my husband and I just went through our first, our first process of this because we have kids now and we wanted to make sure that while we don't have a tremendous amount of assets, there was so much in there about like end of life wishes and just, you know, mm-hmm. protecting, protecting things like that. And I mean, I felt a, a tremendous amount of stress going into the process, feeling like it was this black box of information that I'd never be able to fully wrap my head around and, and sort of like the trust it took with our lawyer and the, and the patients to, and it was so easy at times to just be like, okay, well, my husband's so much better than me at this. But like for me to just be like, okay, well, just tell us what's best because I don't even know how to make the decision that you're putting in front of me, which as you're talking, I can imagine is just such a common experience for people because it's such an overwhelming process. And so I'm just curious, like on the human side of this, like how do people find out about lawyers like you or folks who are inside this network like like you are? And what are some like entry points for them or invitations for them to feel like this is going to feel different if you've done this before or started this process before and perhaps felt really alienated by it? Like there's actually a different way to to walk through this. Mm-hmm. What's your approach to folks maybe who are feeling resistance around it, I guess? I do a lot of, I try to educate the community, you know, through social media, through being at community events, through having workshops and webinars and, and things like that. Um, I should probably rewind a little bit to, and I'm dating myself because I use the word rewind. The young kids don't use that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's back up a bit to my process because uh, I did not, I, I, I told you what the typical experience was, but I didn't actually go through what, what my process looks like and what makes me so different. So my process starts with a one to two hour legacy planning session where we just do a deep dive about the law. I educate people so they have the context to make these decisions. Uh, and then we talk about uh, their assets. What would actually go to probate? What would the cost be uh, for their family specifically? Uh, are there any tax issues? What other issues are coming up? How, are do the parents agree on who should take custody of the children if something should happen? You know, who are the emergency responders? Who would you want to take immediate custody of your children because maybe the guardians live further away? When I talk about, I mentioned gaps that exist when it comes to minor children. Most estate plans will only name guardians in a will and a will only works if you've died. So if you're in an accident and you're in the hospital in a coma for three months, that will has no effect. And there's, there's nothing legally stating who should take custody of your children. So those standalone documents are very important. Uh, temporary guardian authorizations for emergency responders, having a medical power of attorney. So if you're ever traveling, There's someone who you trust, who is there, who can make important medical decisions on your behalf. There's just so much that goes into it. And then talking to parents about all these, is there someone who you would never want raising your children who might step up in the event of an accident? You know, that's, that's something that, that can come up, especially in, you know, talking about equity. What if you have a family with a child who is 
trans and they have a very conservative extended family and then something happens to them and conservative grandma or conservative sister puts in a petition to get custody and on paper auntie has money she has a stable family she looks great the judge has no idea what her value system is so it should be the parents making these decisions not judges okay can we go deeper into the equity side of things here like because mm-hmm. i have a feeling there are a lot of like intersections around issues of equity with estate planning and legacy giving that i can't even fathom so can you talk us through like from from an equity lens what are the primary elements you you you're looking out for yes so most people assume that trusts are only for the wealthy. And I think the statistic is like 50% of people think trusts are only for rich people. But as I mentioned, if you have a, a modest sum, a more modest sum that you want to leave to your children, you wouldn't want that spent in just five years, right? You'd want that to, to grow and build. And, you know, the, the families that are not planning for that to happen, you know, the, the non-white families, you know, of course the, the, the families with generational wealth, they've been doing this obviously for generations. They, they have been educated. They understand how trusts work. They understand how asset protection works. Most of us normal people and, and most of us children of immigrants have never been taught this. We, we don't understand how a trust can provide something called asset protection where the inheritance that I receive from my parents can be protected from lawsuits or being lost in a divorce or, or to creditors. Or, you know, if, if I accidentally rear-ended Elon Musk and he lost 20 minutes of work and sued me for $10 million, asset protection would keep a judgment from reaching my inheritance if the trust is set up in the right way to provide that. What most people are, when, when they get to the option of, they're given this option of how would you want your, your inheritance to be distributed to your kids, right? Kids under 18 can't receive money legally because they're not adults. Without a plan, they get it at 18. Uh, what parents are usually counseled with is, well, we can, and I don't know if this is your experience, but we can make it so that they only receive certain percentages at certain ages, right? 20% at 21 another 20% at 25, something like that. Well, the problem with that is if you receive 20% of your inheritance at 21 and 25, and you know, you're going to get another payment at 30, what are you doing in between payments? Are you spending the money in your head? Because that's what we do when we know we're getting say a Christmas bonus. We know when we're getting our tax return, when, when you know you're getting your tax return, what are you doing? Are you, you're spending the tax return in your head because you know you're going to receive it. So, and I don't think parents realize sometimes, you know, they haven't been given their wealth on paper and, and told now divide this into two and write this check out to your child at 21, you know, now take 20% of that 50%, write that out to your child. How much is that number? Do you want a 21 year old? Do you want a 25 year old? A 30-year-old, do you want them with a blank check for that amount versus an asset protection type trust where the funds are held in trust for them? They're given money to, you know, for health education, maintenance, support. And the parents determine 
the guidelines. For example, you know, no new cars. Don't buy a, a new Tesla with your inheritance. Don't buy a Maserati. If you'd like to start a business, submit a business plan and the trust will match dollar for dollar up to a certain percentage of the principal. In that way, you're encouraging them to invest the money wisely into a business. You could put provisions in like every year they get half a percent of the principal to go to a self-development conference. Opportunities like that, that don't exist when money is given as a blank check, when inheritance is given as a blank check. And so and you know, and then the building of the generational wealth, as families build that, they can reinvest that money into their communities, partner with nonprofits, maybe even get to a point where their family is starting a charity of their own. So yeah, sorry, that was very long, but no, that- <laughs> it was great. It was great. And I was taking okay. some notes because I feel like there's, there's so much, there's so much there. What do you think about, like, there's some terms that we're using, you know, legacy planning, wealth, like generational wealth mm-hmm. that, that have a whole host of associations, feelings with it. What, and and to your point, like at the very beginning of, of what you just shared, that our assumption that certain types of documentation or certain types of resources are only necessary if you're sort of at a certain threshold or of a certain class, or it's mm-hmm. something that you are hearing talked about in your in your life around you. And so, which obviously there's a lot of differentiation around in culture also around how transparently you talk about some of these things in public even, right? And so can you talk to me about how how that plays into this or if there are things that maybe there's somebody who's listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, I really want to have this conversation with my partner. I think we need to find a, a lawyer like Cecilia, but they're nervous to to bring this up or they feel like it might be dismissed because of some of those limiting beliefs or assumptions inside their home. What are some ways you would encourage folks to, because my guess is the conversation first has to start in the home before they're going to engage a partner like you. How would you encourage people to start to dip their toe into that, that conversation? That's a really good question. Cause some, some of the, sometimes people come to me and they're like, how do I even have this conversation with, say my aging parents to mm. get their estate planning done. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing um, where I don't really want to answer that, but I want to go back to your question and not lose that thread. So let me just quickly, it, for people who, who have aging parents, because there are a lot out there, the way you, you start this conversation is actually weirdly to get your own estate planning done first. Because if you approach a parent and say you need to get your estate plan done, they see you as a child. So you do your own estate plan and you step into your adulthood and you say, hey, I've gotten this taken care of. I think you should too. And then it, it's a whole different framework for that conversation. So, but going back to when you're talking to your partner, I'm just of the belief that everyone needs to empower themselves with all this information. When I talk to people, I I will usually give the the gift of my mentor's book so that they can read through it. Uh, And I'll send you a link after this podcast as well. But it's a really easy book to get through because it's written in a choose your own adventure kind of format where it's here's the story of three families. Here's what happens with and without estate planning. Or here's what happens with, you know, a documents only type plan versus a more comprehensive 
legacy plan. So, you know, just, just getting educated. And I'm trying to do that through my social media, through blog articles, through workshops. And I know a lot of my colleagues in the personal family lawyer network are also reaching out to their communities and, and educating uh, their communities. Cause it's, it's so important because that is where it starts. You know, that's, this is not something that we're taught in high school in my workshops or in my meetings. Sometimes I give the examples of celebrity planning gone wrong. We see it all the time in the news and people are always like, wow, but they had millions and millions of dollars. Why didn't they have a good estate plan? And the answer to that is because they were just normal people like you and I, they're, they're just, they weren't born into wealth. Most celebrities were not born into wealth. They, they accumulated their wealth in their career. So they're just like the average person, you know, getting their standard estate plans, you know, Whitney Houston, she had a huge estate when she passed away and her, the, tr- the terms of her trust were very common, 20% at 21 or 25% 21. Well, she had so much money that 25% to her 21 year old daughter was far too much money for her. And it was actually dangerous. If you remember what happened to mm-hmm. her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, money and it's just tied to so many things. And so of course, it's like, as you're talking, it's like, of course, this is an equity issue. Of course, you know, this whole conversation around, you know, both the protection of assets, the passing down of assets, the legacy of assets into partnerships with nonprofits community, like there's so many layers here that are so important that are never discussed. I mean, in typical, you know, legacy giving trainings that I've that I've gone to or or anything like that. Can I ask one other question? I know we're almost out of time, but I'm curious from the nonprofit standpoint, who might be, you know, my guess is that actually there's a lot of equity issues and bias issues around who they're having legacy conversations with in their donor base. Do you have mm-hmm. any suggestions for how they should be thinking about and talking to and inviting community members to participate in legacy giving to their nonprofit um, and things they should be watching out for and careful of to ensure that they're approaching that side of things from an equity lens as well? Well, one of the things that I, I mean, and I'm not just trying to plug my personal family lawyer network, but I think it is a value to partner with someone who is a personal family lawyer to get, you know, that perspective on legacy and build a partnership where, you know, and I've had conversations with some nonprofits and I do this. And I know some of the other attorneys in my network do this where we'll do a, a workshop for the donors, talk about legacy and then invite them to do a legacy planning session at a, have a, you know, with a discount rate or something. And then, you know, we're not trying to, of course, we're not going to tell them where to give their money, but having a conversation about legacy versus what a lot of nonprofits do is maybe they'll send people to a a make your will platform or something like that, where there's like one question that says, would you like to, you know, give to a charity? And then they'll put whatever. And, and we're not sure what they put. Sometimes they might put you know, $10,000 for a program that doesn't exist. But if you're partnering with an attorney who understands and who's supporting you, then that attorney knows 
because uh, they've had conversations with you about maybe there is uh, an endowment that they prefer legacy gifts to be given. Maybe they hate endowments, maybe, you know, um, but they can kind of say, Hey, the, uh, this, this nonprofit actually prefers to receive legacy gifts this way. And it can, can help in that sense. And also just the whole, the whole process of it being more about legacy than just filling out documents. There's so, so much behind that. Like I work with clients and I ask them, you know, are you regularly giving to a nonprofit? Well, if you're ever in an accident, those gifts will stop unless we put it in your trust. You know, is there a provision in your trust that says in the event of incapacity, you want to prioritize the continuation of your charitable giving gifts? And then also part of my process and part of what other uh, PFLs do is we include a legacy interview in all of our plans. We just get on the phone or get on a Zoom call or we meet them in person and we just record a one hour video conversation about their lives. And I've had it where people will come back after that video and say, oh, I just, that was such a great experience. It made me remember XYZ organization and I want to give them a gift or talking about my experiences in childhood because of this program. I want to increase that gift we talked about. So it's just a whole different frame of mind when it is legacy and not just a box that's being checked, not a blank you're filling in or or something like that. I think there's actually a few things there that I might just double click on really quickly. One is like that piece around, oftentimes I think legacy conversations only happen with what nonprofits consider quote unquote major donors, which oh, the term has- Yes, yes, oh. yes. Okay. okay. That's what I was, I felt like I was missing something. So, you know, along the lines of partnering with a, a PFL, uh, another thing that I do- you know, offer to nonprofits is I will do like a guardian nomination workshop with the community so mm-hmm. that families in the community that they are also serving can get the benefit of getting this information about how to protect children. And then, you know, maybe walking, leaving that workshop with a standalone guardian nomination. And then they can mm-hmm. start thinking about that and getting educated about, about that, you know, and there are a lot of average people who have, you don't know what they really have. They might have $4 million in life insurance. And, and that's not evident because they're not that high level donor, but you find it's by building those relationships with people and talking about legacy and then having them, you know, and I think that's the value of partnering with a, with an attorney who is heart centered and who cares about legacy is that they will have these conversations with an attorney who is going to spend more than just 20 minutes with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have so many more questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to pause and just tell every, <laughs> ask everybody where they should go to learn more about you, to connect with you. Um, the resources that you're offering and the insight that you've offered here, I think is giving everyone a lot to think about and is just a great framing for people to be enhancing the way they think about legacy giving and estate planning and all of that. So where can folks go to connect with you? Okay. Well, um, I guess my link tree is the best uh, place to go because it's got everything and it's HTTPS colon slash slash L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash 
AMO LAW. So Okay. We'll make sure we'll make sure that um that folks have that link below as well. And then, you know, they can go to you can find all my social media platforms there and my website. But if there are, is there anyone out there who wants to connect with an attorney who is part of the personal family lawyer network, it is just, it's really easy, personalfamilylawyer.com. And everyone on that who is part of that, they're just, they're the best people I know, honestly. And there's this thing like when I get this comment sometimes that I don't seem like a typical lawyer, or I don't seem like an attorney. And for me, that's like the biggest compliment. And that's how I feel about all of them. Like they, they're not like the attorney that you see, you know, they, they're not like on TV or, or, you know, the stereotypical arrogant attorney. They're, they're really good people. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Um, I'm so grateful for your insight, your wisdom, and for coming on here and sharing it with everybody. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity to share all this valuable information. I'm, I just, I'm so passionate and I talk about this stuff all the time. And, and I think it's just so important for our communities to understand. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope today's episode inspired or challenged you to think differently. For additional takeaways, tips, show notes, and more about our amazing guests and sponsors, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And if you didn't know, hosting this podcast isn't the only thing I do. Every day I coach, guide, and help fundraisers and leaders just like you inside of my program, the Power Partners Formula Collective. Inside the program, I share my methods, tools, and experiences that have helped me fundraise millions of dollars and feel good about myself in the process. To learn more about how I can help you, visit MalloryErickson.com backslash powerpartners. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to encourage you to share it with a friend you know would benefit or leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.